Hey guys, it's uh, Andy here in another episode of the Mountain Malarkey Podcast with Dave. Hello everybody. Yeah, hey everyone, it's uh, Andy and Dave on another uh, Tuesday tune-in. Um, yeah, great to see you. There's a few people joining. Hey Mark. Uh, if you are joining us, guys, as always, um, you know, do drop in the comments who's on, uh, just so me and Dave can see who's uh, who's joining in on the on the Q and A today. Yeah, uh, it's wonderfully sunny uh, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, hey Ruth, hey Paul, James, Shona, Kim, Laura, Amanda, another Mark Beecroft who takes some fantastic pictures. Mark, I've been seeing your pictures. Um, Julie, great stuff. Yeah, heaps of people joining us. Jackie, Lee, Joel, uh, as always, you know, some of the regulars. See some newbies on here as well, but um, Dave, uh, yeah, you know, Dewey, what's going on today? What's that? Well, you know, it's um, it's, I've taken some 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 long-awaited leave, uh, but uh, I, I'm never going to miss a Tuesday tune-in. <laughs> commitment, I like it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, commitment. But um, no, other than that, no, mate, not much. Chilling, riding my bike. You know, gonna have a haircut. <laughs> yeah, mate, it looks fine. It looks fine. Honestly, the, the Prince look is, is good. Trust me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. No, no, nice to have you on, Dave, uh, as always. And yeah, today, because uh, Lauren's off this week as well. Um, uh, so yeah, some of the Yeti's taking some like well-needed time off. Uh, you know, it's been a busy uh, period for us. Uh, so our wonderful Fee, the Bimlin Yeti, is, uh, is, on, is on the phones, is on the comments today. So she'll be saying hello if you do see um, anyone commenting and sharing some stuff with you. Um, but right, yeah, great start. Loads of people joining us now. Wicked, yeah. Hey, Laura, Dewey, Mick, um, as always. Ramon, Ramona's on. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. You actually caught this it's week. In, it's in Ramona's diary. I've seen it. I've seen the evidence that it's like, you yeah, know, I value, you know, uh, inspect this building, inspect that building. Tuesday tune in. Write a report. Yeah. Lee, Lee was reminding that you're four pints in debt, Dave. So um, yeah, we need we need to tally that in the office somewhere. This is Dave's. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, good, good. Lee, thanks for keeping um, for keeping count for that, mate. Because uh, yeah, um, brilliant. Alan, no worries, mate. No worries. Alan uh, has got his certificate and medal. Great stuff. Alan um, came with us to Everest Base Camp in what seems like a long time ago now, back in the end of uh, 2019. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, absolutely had an awesome time. And yeah, it's obviously taken a while. Um, you know, we have our good friend COVID, to, to, but glad you got it now, Alan. And um, you know, well deserved, mate. Well done. Yeah, literally, I'm, um, I'm happy as well because I had to carry those to the post office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well done, Dave. Um, but right, let, let, let's crack on into the episode then, um, Dave. Uh, today, uh, what is what's it about? So, well, today we it's sort of a, a, a something we've touched on quite lightly. Um, it's a subject that um, we definitely, you know, we don't like to pass over. We like to sort of give a full account of everything. But no, today we're going to talk about, so there's a, we always talk about EBC, you know, we go to EBC, but there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's more than one way to go to EBC. And um, generally speaking, if you're going to go to EBC via any other route, you're going to go over some what we term and what is termed the high passes. Um, and we get a lot of questions about these high passes because obviously they're high altitude, they're uh, in remote regions. Sometimes there can be bad weather. So there's a lot more to it than perhaps um, just sticking to the standard route. So today we're going to talk about all the different passes that you can get. Um, also touch on some other passes in some other areas of the world as well. And, um, you know, what type of boots do you need to go over Kongmela? You know, will I, you know, pass out going over Chola? There's lots of things that we can t talk about. So, yeah. All Sounds like a song. <laughs> yeah. Very good, Dave. Very good. Yeah, exactly. We, you know, we... <laughs> Although we, you know, we we do regularly talk about Killy and uh, Everest Base Camp and Tubkal Machu Picchu, the high passes um, sometimes get a little bit left out. So yeah, we we wanted to sort of tackle those today um, because they're they're part of some some of the high passes we do, um, especially the ones in the Everest region. You know, you've got Renjola, Chola, Kongmela. They're all significant um, passes uh, yeah. over five thousand meters. So you know, they're not to be taken lightly. But um, you know, we do get some people that are, uh, ask a couple of questions like. Okay, it's my first time at high altitude. Um, you know, will I be able to do Chola? Yeah. Um, am I fit enough? You know, what experience do I need for, for to take on these high passes? And it's um, certainly one thing we've discussed internally, and you know, we, 
if you've been on any of these lives, you you know, we always like to say it, it does come down to the individual. You know, if you if you want to do it, uh, altitude is is essentially the first time you go to altitude is the same, essentially, because of the, the same acclimatization process. Yeah. But so it doesn't matter where you go to altitude. You know, if you go to Everest Base Camp, you go over a high pass. That being said, a lot of the high passes are quite relentless. You know, you're talking two, three hours of ascent, you know, over four and a half thousand meters and then over five. So, you know, they're not to be taken lightly, but in terms of what experience you would need, we, we've had first-timers tackle these, and they've done fine. Okay, they're into yeah. their walking, you know, they're relatively fit. But as, as, as we always talk about, they're, they're, they're resilient up here. And, um, and and they go there, and they have an awesome time. So I think certainly just, just to tackle that one first, because it is something that, that comes up, is that any high pass that we do, um, you know, they're not summits, you know, so a little bit different. You know, in terms of you going through, um, you know, a mountain pass, but some of them are just as good as as as, as any of the other places we do. They're, yeah. they're an X on a map that we'll we're going over, and some of them are. Uh, we get feedback of like, oh yeah, going over Chola Pass was one of the best experiences we've had. You know, obviously, they, and these are people yeah. going to Everest Base Camp, and they they enjoyed Chola rather than Everest Base Camp. I mean, everyone takes different things from it. Um, and yeah, so so we thought, right, let's, let's talk about passes today. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's one of those as well. Like, not every pass is, uh, although they, they they tend, you know, if you're going to do the three passes trip over in Nepal, um, you're going to go over three different passes. So just to clarify, that'll be Chola, Renjola, and Kongmela. I'm assuming yep. La means pass. And um, so the, they they tend to sort of go up in altitude. But it's a lot of a lot of people have done them sort of report back differently. You know, yeah. we had but one group I know when I was in the poll, and Andy, you were in April 2019. Um, there's a, a great guy, um, Alan Payne, who was like, and I think he was 70 when he did it, definitely late 60s. And um, I was chatting to their group, like, which pass was the toughest? And they were like, Chola was by far the toughest. And then another one would be like, no, 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 Renjola was a killer, yeah. you know. So it all depends. A lot of it is down to the individual. But yeah. I think all of those guys, it was their first time at altitude. Um, and, you know, they, they varied wildly in their sort of fitness levels and age yeah. and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it can be one of those things where it depends on the individual. Sometimes people will want to go and do EBC by the classic route first, get a taste for altitude, get a taste for Nepal, yeah. and then maybe go back and do it, you know, and do more of the same and do the high passes and do more exploring. Other people... They want to go, you know, for the most hardcore right off the bat, you know. And we've had people go to Island Peak their first time at altitude. They've never even been on a ski yeah. they, and they and they summit Island Peak. So it is a large part of it is is mental, but that doesn't mean that they're not physically tough as well, because um, you know, it, it it's almost guaranteed it's gonna be high. Well, it is guaranteed it's gonna be high. It's almost, <laughs> it's almost guaranteed it's gonna be cold. Um, and sometimes you might, you know, your guide might decide to kind of rope you, you know, so you all kind of stay yeah, together. Um, other times you might have to wear crampons um, in order to get up those um, just, you know, nothing technical, but in terms of grip and things. So, um, yeah, they are very exciting. Yeah. Nice, Dave. And, and yeah, you, you you hit on a couple of good points there because a couple of those questions are ones that we, we had sent in. Yeah, we had heaps of questions coming uh, this morning, guys. Yeah, thanks for, for pinging those across. I think we got eight or nine questions already uh, off the bat. But as always, if you're on the live, don't forget, this is what we hear as well. It's what we're here for. Any questions around any of these trips, anything, um, you know, do uh, drop in the comments. Um, we know a, a few comments have come back around the app. Um, yeah, if you've had access to the app, I hope you enjoyed it. But any questions around that as well, post it on and hopefully we can uh, we can try and help you, um, you know, use the app. Um, we hope you enjoyed it as well. It's, um, I say, been working hard behind the scenes uh, on that and we're trying to release it as, as much as we can. Uh, so I hope you're enjoying uh, the app um, as much as we we hope so. But anyway, yes. Um, so with regards to questions then, Dave, should we start off on the email ones, mate? Yeah, why not? Why not? Um, so I'm assuming, um, so we've got Fee on the fee on the phones today. So yeah, yeah for us, a slightly different flavor on the messaging. Um, I, I think I saw Leah say, uh, hello, Lauren. Um, uh, it's actually Fee. Um, <laughs> it is, yes. Yeah, so we've had one uh, message from a chap called Paul. Yeah, um, he says he's doing the Annapurna circuit and the three uh, passes this autumn. Oh, um, Paul is. Hey, Paul. Yeah, he didn't <laughs> want to wear a tough boot as a lot of the terrain should be reasonable ground, yeah. and I don't particularly need a lot of ankle support. The lighter weight boots will uh, take the gravel um, ice master style crampon. Yeah. Will this be suitable for the odd bit of ice on these treks? So, Paul, yes, it will. 
So with regards to when we say crampons, when we're referring to the passes, it's not technical climbing. Um, it is literally for grip and grip alone because sometimes you can get some snowpack, sometimes it might be ice. Um, so what normally happens is that you'll wear a standard hiking boot. It can be an unrated boot, so it doesn't have to be like a B1, B2 or whatever. It can be a normal hiking boot, lightweight, comfortable for you. And the guides can give you these sort of, um, they're sort of like a, a, a um, what's the word I'm thinking of? They fit every type of boot. Um, and quite often they're kind of the, the chains, you know, that kind of wrap around and they're like the micro spikes that go around the, the boot, um, as opposed to like a proper grivel sort of crampon. So that that's pretty much what, what you need. Um, if it is needed as well, the guides are more than happy. Um, they'll provide that for you because it's part of the passage trip as well. Yeah, because Shona has, has said a similar thing. Hey, Shona. Um, awesome as always, mate, to see you on the, the live around. Uh, will normal boots with micro spikes be okay? And you know, I hope Dave answered that question there in, in terms of, um, of that. Because, yeah, uh, micro spikes do go on to generally some of the lightweight boots uh, because they are pretty flexible. Um, yeah. you know, we use them in the UK. Might be worth getting some practice, okay, depending on the conditions, um, especially now as we're coming into the spring. Frustratingly, you know, a lot of the winter, I know uh, all of us have, have been locked down, but um, if you can't get any practice beforehand, you know, it doesn't hurt uh, to get some, um, you, know, you know, some time on the spikes, essentially. But they um, they do, and, and the guys carry it. They're quite lightweight anyway, and in the villages, especially if you've gone over Cholar, because Cholar can have quite a lot of snow, um, and, and then obviously makes it a bit more challenging with regards to the ice underfoot and it changes every year like the very first time i went to base camp um before uh before our trek started was um you know five years ago and then i wanted to go over chola but it was actually closed at the time i did go in winter which you know is one of the reasons we don't run those trips during winter is that they're very very um almost always closed during winter uh because of the the amount of snow that's up there and the conditions they are quite harsh um so yeah i didn't get a chance to go over there myself um you know uh, back then you know, which is quite frustrating at the time. You know, I was thinking, oh, you know, I want to go over to the Gokyo Valley. And, um, uh, you know, but once I got to base camp, which was fantastic in its own right, uh, you know, it's a fantastic achievement anyway. But anyway, just go back to my point. With um, micro spikes and things, they are they are local if if you need, we need to get them. So, um, yes, so I hope that answered your question, Shona. Uh, and the same with Paul as well. I know he's going to um, – Annapurna circuit, I believe, which also has another one, which is Thoranglā Pass. Yeah, which is uh, one of the higher passes. Uh, which was, was it Thoranglā? Is was it five four one six, Dave? Something like that. Yeah, it's, it's it's definitely nearly. It's it's as near as makes a difference. Five and a half thousand meters. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, yeah, it's a really um, it's a really nice high pass as well because there is a cane on top with the flags, yeah. the name of the pass, and everything like that. So. Um, yeah, it is an epic one um, for certain. I mean, I can't um, personally. I've, I haven't done Thoring Lab, but I can't wait to go over there and do that one because yeah, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Um, just to touch on altitude, I know it's Andy McNaughton Jones. How's it going, Andy? Welcome again. Uh, we talk about altitude, but do we really mean air pressure difference between sea level and altitude? Good question, Andy. Love it. So is the air pressure different in the mountain ranges like EBC Andes versus standalone mountains like Killy? Um, so. I think there's more than one thing at play here. So definitely the air pressure does make a difference. So when you're at um, Everest Base Camp, for instance, um, you know, particularly when you're high in altitude, I bought um, a packet of crisps, I think, in um, from um, Dingboche, and they were like a bomb ready to go up. You know, they expand like they do in an airplane. Um, so there is an air pressure difference. So with altitude, we know that there's not less oxygen. What happens is that the higher you go, the less of the air pressure the more dispersed the oxygen is in the atmosphere. Yeah. And that has the effect of reducing the amount of oxygen that we're able to breathe in. Um, but that's only one sort of effect of going to high altitude. The other effect, obviously, is the difference yeah. between air pressures and things. Um, I'm assuming it's the same when whenever you go to high altitude. I'll be honest with you, I didn't do the packet of crisps experiment on Kili. Um, but I definitely know when I was in um, Nepal, and I was trekking to our Everest base camp, you will see things like even eggs, I'll be honest with you. You pop an egg, it'll pop. Right. Um, you know, fizzy drinks, um, yeah. you know, packets of crisps, they tend to pop and stuff like that. So there is a difference with air pressure and it expanding and things like that. So, um, yeah, it, it, yeah. it yeah. yeah, just going to just add to into that. And Dave, uh, great explanation with around the science behind it. Um, but I suppose the other thing to take into account is weather. 
because weather determines the sort of ambient pressure around. Um, yeah. We all seen those weather maps with, um, you know, the isobars on there. And especially in mountain regions, they can, uh, you know, they, they you can drop really quickly, which drops the ambient pressure around, which essentially then, I mean, they've said, um, we talk about some of the, the Everest disasters, the one in, one in 1996. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of you on here would have would have heard, read, seen that, heard us talk about it. And they did say that on that mountain, because of the weather front that came in, it had the equivalency of almost raising the height of Everest, um, you know, by, you know, like 500 meters. Seems crazy. But because of the, the actual pressure difference was that much because of the, the, the low pressure that came in out of nowhere. And then, um, you know, almost have the same impact as, as increasing the height of the mountain. Yeah. Which then would reduce again the the amount of oxygen the body can actually take. Exactly. So, yeah. You know, I think you have to if you're looking at different mountain ranges, Andy. And great question, mate. I love these type of questions. Is that you know you have to take into account sort of locality and 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 the areas. So yeah, is the Andes different than the Himalayas? I'd say it's very similar. And you know, from a science point of view, the you know you are X amount above sea level, but you also have to take into account what's the actual pressure there at that time. Um, you know, like in Himalayas, notorious for having some sort of snowstorms that can come in out of nowhere at certain times of the year. It's why they do it in the spring because there's less chance. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking monsoon season has always got a lot of uh, snowfall there. Um, so yeah, you, you know, you have to take into account all of that. And I hope that um, does it. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good point, actually. I mean, I remember exactly what you said and you know, the two most uh, famous disasters on Everest perhaps, which were yeah. um, 96 and 2006. Um, the same thing happened on 2006, but it, it wasn't a storm. It was, um, you know, like you said, an atmospheric low that yeah. almost has the effect of bringing space closer to the summit. So yeah. the temperature drops across the whole mountain range, and that's um, the climber David Sharp um, was effectively caught out in that. I mean, yeah. there's a lot more to do with his story, but um, I remember Woody, one of um, Russell Bryce's guides on the mountain, gave an explanation as to why it was yeah. so cold that night. And why it made summer in very difficult, and why there was a lot of frostbite. But um, do you know what? what I it's interesting with regards to that. You know, it, is the effect on air pressure at five thousand meters on Everest the same as it is on Kili? I will. Do you know what? As going forward, Annie, I am going to do the pack the packet of crisps uh, uh, science experiment, and I will see how much they inflate on each one. But no, good question. Love an altitude chat. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, just uh, just cut. Coming on a couple of the questions we had uh, before the live. Um, this is from Miriam. Do you carry all your stuff with you while you walk? And how do you deal with fatigue and tiredness? So a couple of questions. Yeah, Miriam, I mean, uh, firstly, just in terms of carrying your stuff, I mean, on any trek that we do, whether it's a high pass, uh, whether it's going to Killy, um, uh, you know, certain uh, certain trips that we do, generally you only carry a day pack. Um, you know, so you're talking like your snacks, you know, warm pair of gloves, uh, your water um you know maybe a sort of a jacket to chuck on if it rains uh you know so you don't carry too much whereas the, the porters of the guys or the muleteers if you're in Tupcal and in morocco will um will carry all the all the, the big bags for you um or the yak sometimes in the port so yeah um i hope that answers your question you don't have to carry all of it uh you know so if you bring in say 15 kgs on the Everest base camp trek um don't think you've got to be carrying that all the way because you know altitude's challenging and we like to make it as, as easy as we possibly can. Um, yeah, so, and, you know, it's not a race. It's, uh, you know, we take our time and there's no need to make it any harder than it needs to be, essentially. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, how do you deal with fatigue and tiredness? It's one of those. I think we all deal with it in different ways, don't we? And it, sometimes it's through experience, um, you know, getting out there and, and doing uh, sort of challenging things and then feeling tired, feeling fatigued, knowing how your body reacts to that. Um, and how you're able to overcome that because yeah you, you're going to be tired and you, you're going to be fatigued and you know then it comes down to, to the as dave said a couple of weeks ago you know the the biggest muscle you need to exercise is the one between your between your ears and i think if you uh if you can learn i say learn maybe the wrong word um or maybe get some experience around dealing with the challenge of a difficult situation and then seeing how your head reacts and how you can get through that that'll that'll work they'll add so much benefit when you're on the high altitude challenges because your head's in the right place um yeah whether you're tired whether you're fatigued you know whether you you've got a dodgy belly whether you're just feeling altituded as we like to call yes. it you're yeah, suffering some altitude issues um you know back on killy uh, just over 12 months ago i mean you know I, I didn't suffer any altitude issues but you know what i felt knackered on summit night 
because I'm not used to hiking during the night. And, you know, I had to go back to, to why I'm there and, you know, come on, you have to, you know, you have to use the internal kick at the backside. Um, and that's what got me through it in the end, you know, and uh, it, it doesn't matter who you are. It can happen differently on every, any, any challenge you go on. So, yeah, I hope um, that answered your question a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I, I think as well, one of the big things that I think you can do, I mean, I think on the mountain as well, particularly like what Andy was saying there about sort of the mindset, it can make a huge difference, you know, and uh, like Andy was saying on the summit that he was pretty tired. I noticed that it hit me further down, you know, actually on the, on the last four hours of the day where, you know, physically, I think I was still there, but the fatigue takes its toll and you start to get a bit grumpy. I think to be honest, food helps, you know, as well, keeping, you know, quite often, I, weirdly, I was saying to Andy like five minutes before we came and, and did the live, that I notice that if I'm feeling a bit grumpy and I'm a bit fed up on a hike, yeah. um, it's almost always because I haven't eaten enough. Um, yeah. And eating some food and just like putting some calories and some carbs in my body makes me feel a lot better. Um, and also training beforehand as well, isn't it? And it's all about that preparation. The more you do beforehand, the more you get out of the trip when you're there. Um, and then if you combine, you know, the, the physical fitness with the mental fitness, you're basically unstoppable, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, you can do anything with a strong mind. Um, you know, it's I, I honestly believe that. But you know, everyone's Everest is different, as we always say. Yeah, exactly. So um ah good old Diane for Zachary said um hey, got the, the garment B1 boots. Um they have the uh, the ridges, the welts that crampons can attach to. Yeah. Um, they'll be they'll be more than good. Um she's asking if they're good enough for things like Tupgal and, and the mountain yeah. training, winter training skills. Um, yes, they are. They'd be perfectly fine. If they're a B1 boot and you can attach a crampon to them, that's fine. That's sort of the beginning of what you need to do winter mountaineering and, and do things like Tupcal. Um, yeah. And it, it all depends then. So whether you go to B2 or B3, technically, it's whether the mountain or the pass you're climbing is getting more difficult and more technical and requires yeah. mixed terrain. Like are you climbing on ice and then rock and then snow? You know, those are three different techniques that you use and that you need a stiffer boot. If you're doing Tupgal, um, winter skills training, the B1 boots will be perfectly, uh, perfectly fine. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I, some some boots as well are, you know, you could you could say I need a B1 for this, and a B2 for this, and a B3 for this. You know, some of them are, are pretty, uh, I'd say, versatile. You know, what I mean, you could get one. You could probably get away with it, Diane, um, with with having a, a more flexible boot with a, a that that sort of c1 crampon as we like to say but yeah as dave said there um you know if if you can have different boots it's not going to hurt but um you know like i've got a pair in the office here and uh, i think they're yeah the ones i got i think they're called the shamo chi pronunciation <laughs> they're c-h-a-m-r-o-z i think they're called uh something like that and anyway they're, they're classed as a b2 boot but they're bloody they're really rigid I can't wait. I bought them for winter, but they haven't been able to get out in the mountains over winter. Um, so, yeah, with regards to, um, you know, any future winter mountaineering, can't wait to try them. Yeah. Um, you know, see how far we can take them. Uh, but nice, Dave. Yeah, what, uh, I, whilst we're on there, actually, I did see a couple of questions drop in um, from Diane as well. I think I'm just going to pick this up whilst Diane is here, just so I can make sure her question's answered. Uh, yeah, you mentioned um, Diane around High Pass for Annapurna circuit but not for the Annapurna base camp yes that's right so when it comes to um when you when you go into Annapurna you 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 pretty much got a direct route to base camp and then you kind of retrace your steps essentially yeah uh, whereas the Annapurna circuit is you're actually walking around the entire uh, massif of Annapurna which is I think it's, uh, it's like four or five actual peaks summits but it's classed as the Annapurna massif and one of those is you go over Thoring La Pass yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a longer trip. It's probably a more challenging trip than Annapurna Base Camp. Um, so, yeah, I hope that maybe if you're thinking about which one you want to do, it just depends on time. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, similar to sort of Everest Base Camp, really. You know, if you go into Everest Base Camp and then back, you know, it's shorter than if you go in, say, on the Three Peaks, Three Passes route. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, that's, that's sort of 19 days rather than 15. So, yeah, it just depends on the time there. But uh, if you can, if you've got the time, um, you know, the Annapurna Circuit is is awesome. Yeah. Um, Sean Lysett's come up with a good one. Um, I, I, yeah. it's kind of, I kind of should, sure? have expected, should have expected, really, if we're going to talk about the high passes, that's yeah. really an altitude conversation, isn't it? You know, so it's really interesting. But um, Sean Lysett, if you get symptoms of uh, altitude sickness, 
Um, oh, it's just rehashed. Uh, can you recover while still at altitude? So, yes, you can, but uh, it's really there's only they say if you get altitude sickness and you've got AMS, there's really only one cure, and that's you need to go you need to go descent, descent, descent. Um, however, it's, altitude is manageable if it's recognised early and if the right steps are taken. So, for instance, Namchi seems to be a bit of a sticking point. Namchi or the um, acclimatization day on Namchi, you won't see anyone suffer really before then, um, only in highly unusual cases, perhaps. But definitely on the sort of acclimatization day at Namchi, when you go up to Everest View Hotel, you get to about 3,880 meters. You'll start yeah. to notice a few people complaining about the usual things like headache, fatigue, bit of nausea, dizziness, yeah. that type of thing. So at that point, we need to say, right, okay, we don't just ignore it. That person's clearly experiencing altitude, so we need to look at what have they drank. Hydration is massively important. If they've underdrank the day before or even that day, that can have an effect. What have yeah. they eaten? How have they slept? Um, and then potentially look at, you know, is Diamox something that would really benefit this person? Um, so those are like four things right there that we can do immediately to turn it around. And both me and Andy have seen people at Everest View Hotel with their head in their hands, really feeling quite unwell. Um, we correct the hydration, we correct the nutrition, and we maybe put them yeah. on Dymox. And the next morning, I'm thinking of one particular Evertrekker, was dancing a little jig the next day. And felt, you know, like a million bucks and then didn't really experience any further symptoms of sickness. Headaches are normal. Um, feeling a bit dizzy if you stand up too quick is normal. Um, but like in terms of like something that might stop you walking, totally gone. So it can change. But like everything, we monitor it as it goes along. If things don't start to improve, then the, and it gets to a point where there's only one fix for it, really, and that's to descend. Um, but yes, just hopefully that's explained that it can be managed, it can be dealt with, and it doesn't necessarily mean the end of your trip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, Sean, uh, I noticed um, just a few of the comments that Ramona put. I know you're a good friend of Ramona's and uh, yeah, welcome to the lives. Mm -hmm. I believe it's your first one. Um, and, and what Dave said is 100% right there. Um, you know, you try not to. One thing we always we always talk about, especially on the trip and, you know, we can see has an effect is is how you you kind of think about it. And instead of always thinking, worrying about the altitude, thinking, oh, my God, what about this? Symptom? What about this? What about this? Which, you know, is, is OK in, in the back of your mind. Is trying to think about all the other stuff, you know, getting, getting, enjoying yourself, drinking enough water, um, you know, having fun, going at a good pace, and try not to try and limit that sort of anxious feelings around the the altitude. Because if that's all you're worrying about, then you know it's just one of those things, isn't it? If you're always thinking altitude, 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 symptoms, 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 you know, it's it's highly likely that you know you're going to feel something because that's all you're thinking. And I think you know we've seen it, um, you know, both ways, people who um probably should have told us a few things about the altitude um when it comes to symptoms uh you know sort of sooner in the trip rather than later but it's, it's it works really well like in terms of um you know if you were if you're someone that kind of worries about those symptoms and you kind of put it to the back of your mind and you just just crack on and obviously if, you, if you're really struggling you've got really bad headaches you know your vision's getting uh, disrupted you know then then do tell your guide you've got to lean on your guide they're very experienced. Any symptoms you have, give them a nudge and they'll be able to coach you through it. Um, yeah. You know, you the first couple of days, uh, some of the most common symptoms are you might lose your appetite. Um, you know, you might be like, oh, I just don't fancy my food tonight. And, you know, I felt like that. Um, but, you, but you need that fuel. So you've got to kind of force it down. And, you know, it's not the best, but it's part of the challenge. And then the higher up you go, you might get an old pressure headache because you've gone from 3,000 to 4,000 meters. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and then you, you might get some sort of pressure at the back of your head uh, and then it'll go within an hour. Um, like I've got, to, for instance, on the Everest Base Camp trek, you've got a village called Dingboche and that's a 4,410 meters. And I've got there once because uh, for some reason that day it was like a I was with um, we took a group from Just Eat uh, up yeah. there back in September 2018. And, you know, we got there. We had a great day. It was beautiful weather. I think we've probably gone a bit too fast a bit too quick than we needed to and loads of us got there and you could see like almost like we we're dropping like flies like even i had a headache in the back of my head you know a few people weren't feeling well but once we once you let your body adjust and then i think two or three hours later we were all feeling fine um so sometimes you really got to pull yourself back and you know keep that nice slow walking pace enjoy it take many pictures as you can um 
and you'll be fine, Sean. Uh, don't worry, Ramona's there anyway. She's she's done it before. She'll yeah. She'll, she'll look after you. Exactly. And then uh, lots of people talking about Diamox now and things yeah. like that. Diamox is one of those things where, um, to be honest, I get my I get all of my advice from the mating guides and doctors. I ignore everybody else because everyone's got an opinion on it. Everyone feels that some people say take it in Kathmandu before you go. Mm-hmm. Other people say don't. Yeah. Um, it is an individual kind of thing. It, um, I think it's relatively safe. There are a few people that can't take it, so that's why you should speak to your doctor. The guides know best because their experience is better than anyone else's in the world when it comes to using this drug. I've used it on Kilimanjaro. Um, personally, I don't take it as a like what they call a like a prophylactic. I don't take it to prevent altitude sickness. I yeah. think the most important thing you can do for that is walk slow, drink plenty of water, and acclimatize properly. Um, yeah. there's no cheat code for it. Diamox certainly won't, you know, do that for you. But if I do start to acclimatize a bit poorly and I start to feel like, um, not my usual self, l- low energy, like I did on Killy, I considered taking it. And then the next day I did, and I did half a pill in the morning, half a pill in the evening. Um, and it, all it did was just give you body that little leg up that it needs in order to acclimatize yeah. properly. One thing to know, um, when your body acclimatizes, um, it's quite interesting. Like if you go to altitude and you stay there for about a month, your body will produce more red blood cells. So you'll carry more oxygen around your body. We're not there for a month. So your body kind of cheats. So what it does is it starts to dilute your blood to increase the ratio of red blood cells to everything else. So you start peeing a lot. And that's why we need to replace the water. If you yeah. take Diamox, it's like turbocharging that process. So if you take Diamox, um, you will be getting up in the night to go and have a pee, and you yeah. will need to put that water back in. Um, so, yeah, that's just something to be careful of. But you can yeah. bring your own prescription. Our guides always have it anyway. What's more important is if you do want to take it, you talk to your guide first and follow their advice. Um, that's what I would say. Nice, Dave. Loving the science today as well, Dave. I'm really liking this. Loving the what, sorry? I have to snip this up. The science is... Uh... Talking about it, it, scientific ways, I love it. Yeah, we, yeah, like, yeah, like it's, like it's like Bill Nye, the science guy, on here. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well done, well done. Um, yeah, just going through a couple of questions because uh, yeah, we got a lot, and it's loads of questions today, guys. This is awesome. Man, this, this is a beast. This is a beastie live. We might be here till like two, three in the afternoon. I'm gonna have to post one <laughs> haircut. We'll, um, we'll we'll try and get through these, uh, you know, because we all know everyone's got lives, but we'll we'll uh, you know we'll try and crack on as 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 quickly as we can with, with doing the questions justice uh, do you have a basic kit list for climbing to mount everest base camp uh, what tablets medication will you need this is from simon loach by the way um yeah so with um uh, simon just firstly we do have uh, a trek and equipment list it's quite comprehensive there's a lot in there um fee if you're on the live uh, if you can put the link to the guide in the comments that'd be great then simon um if you can grab that it's got a lot in there specifically around tablets i mean you know, pe- people take different things. I mean, in terms of what we recommend, I mean, some people take sort of painkillers, uh, you know, and when, whenever we're recommending this, this is just from experience. Now, obviously, you know, you're all adults. Uh, in terms of what you're going to take, it's completely up to you. But we, uh, for instance, we, we take some vitamin C tablets, painkillers, you've got aspirin, uh, we've got uh, like energy gels, uh, you know, some basic plasters, you know, first aid kit. Uh, don't forget that the guides carry uh, an emergency high-altitude first aid kit anyway, so don't feel like you have to. But sometimes we recommend, you know, people like to, to keep it, don't they? Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of uh, altitude sickness, I think Dave mentioned around altitude. Uh, in terms of Diamox, uh, the guides do carry them, but obviously if you want to take your own and you, you, you want to sort of proactively use Diamox on your trip, then, you know, uh, do speak to your GP or travel clinic about that. Uh, they'll be able to sort of recommend um what you need to do simon's also asked about how long does it take to get a visa yes yeah, it's a very apt question actually because we've um there's been a lot floating around i think i've seen a couple of posts in the group uh especially with uh, you know as we as we get closer to the autumn talking about nepal now um is that yeah it can take a little bit of time if you're going through say getting your visa beforehand right now dave correct me on this because i know you you've been obviously in touch with nepal last last week or so around it because it's changing all well, the time with coronavirus well, this morning actually yeah this morning, this morning um, yeah i spoke to a news over in nepal so no visas on arrival at the moment at all only for special sort of diplomatic um visits can you get that um so you need to get a visa yes yeah, so you need to get a visa done beforehand personally my advice to anyone going to nepal would be to get it beforehand anyway um yeah. because 
both myself and Andy on a number of occasions have got the visa on arrival. It's fine, but it is two hours of queuing in a hot room after a long haul flight. So it's not the most fun you can have. Um, but if you get your visa beforehand, you literally just walk through that visa hall, go and get your bag. And it's just a, a, it's well worth the effort. And it's very little effort. We sent off for our visas like on a Monday. They came back on a Thursday, you know, all done and dusted. Yeah. If you yes. live near London or you fancy a trip when you can, um, you can even go to the um, uh, Nepalese embassy in Kensington and you can walk in, get the visa and be out in half an hour. Um, so, yeah, I personally think that it's well worth the, the effort. The visa on arrivals may change. Um, yeah. There's some thought that it might change within the next week or two. Um, but nothing's been confirmed. The way things work in Nepal is you don't you don't often get um, like this is when this is going to happen. It's kind of yeah. all discussed and it's a little bit you don't know when it's going to happen and then all of a sudden it'll happen. You'll just get noticed that it's it's done. So yeah, um, yeah. At the drop of a hat, at the drop of a trilby, as we like drop to say. It should be a drop of a beanie, but you know it's like a, it should be a drop of a, of a, drop of a trilby. Yeah. Yeah, we don't see many trilby hats on the track, but maybe we can change that. You know, never know. Yeah. Um, right, another couple of questions. Um, Dave, I'll there's take one, this one. There's one from Georgina, and I think uh... <laughs> that's exactly the one I was going to talk about. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, Georgina Goff, who's uh, I suffer from asthma. Uh, will I find it too difficult to do the trek? Um, Georgina, it's a great question actually, and um, yeah, been a, a fellow asthmatic myself, and we did a an episode all around just purely asthma, which was called "Take My Breath Away." You know, we do like to have a play on words um, when it comes to, to these. And, yeah, so definitely I, I think I, I'll try and do it justice now, but I highly recommend you go back to that live um, or search on our YouTube channel. You'll be able to find that because watch that because I, I talk a lot about, um, you know, about managing asthma or high altitude. But essentially uh, one thing I've, I've kind of learned is that it doesn't really change like the way you breathe. You breathe the same. Obviously, you, you know, you as an asthmatic and you get out of breath, you've got to breathe more to get the oxygen for your body. But essentially, just make sure you've got the same medication you'd use the same sea uh, level. Um, uh, you know, if it's something that triggers your asthma, for instance, uh, if it's the cold, um, then, you know, we recommend wearing a buff. If it's like the dust, then, you know, maybe use an antihistamine because it can be dusty on the trip. But if there's one thing I want to say, and that's what you said, you know, will I find it too difficult to do the trek? Now, obviously, this comes down to you. But, you know, asthmatics have climbed Everest. You know, they've uh, myself, I've been to Everest Base Camp five times, some to Killy. You know, there's it, it comes down to you, essentially. But there's a lot of asthmatics that like to track a high altitude. And they're they're 100 percent fine. It's just how you manage it, um, you know, because it's OK. You know, you might get a little bit out of breath. So, OK, you want to take your uh, your inhaler if you, and make sure you have that with you at all times. Um and you'll be fine. Uh, if, yeah. You know, we always recommend that if you want to have a conversation with your your GP uh, or a health clinic, have a chat with them as well. Uh, but from you know myself, who had the same fears, you know, was one of the things I had, um, you know, years ago before I even thought about going to Nepal and before ever trek was an idea. It was that I, I I kind of had those fears. You know, can I go to altitude? You know, am I going to be all right with my asthma? Uh, will it be too difficult? Uh, what would how how will I deal with the cold? You know, all these questions came in and. Um, you know, luckily, uh, you know, I was able to go through experience and, and work out that it was fine and it was no more difficult, really, than, than how I uh, experienced other stuff. Um, there's another question I think someone asked around, uh, I think it might have been Ken, around going to high altitude and, you know, you're doing a, a marathon four days after getting back, which is brilliant. Um, and does it help? Yes, it does. I did a half marathon a day after coming back from Everest Base Camp uh, a couple of years back. And, um, yeah, you know what? I found it a lot easier because I, I hardly trained for it, but I got through it. Um, your legs might be tired, but as Dave mentioned, we're talking science here. Um, your body does produce more red blood cells to get the oxygen around the body as quick as it can. And that does help when you're on a, uh, a marathon or a half marathon. So, yeah, a couple of couple of questions to try to answer there. Awesome. Um, Joel has said, actually, Joel, this might be a good yeah, live. You know, We might do a what in the bag session um can you guys demonstrate this is he's asking us to do this at another time what future yep. uh, can you demonstrate what size backpacks we need um and a future tune-in still unsure whether you need a 30 32 or 36 plus maybe grab whatever we would pack in there so i'll be honest yes i can absolutely do that i've got about seven backpacks you know i can line them all up to be yep. honest i wouldn't you're splitting hairs between 30 32 36 um i would say like i've gone to base camp 
with twice, once with a 25 litre, one with a 26 litre. Yeah. And then I've done it with a 35 litre. Um, it all depends on sort of what you like to carry. Personally, I don't like to have anything bigger than, say, a 32 litre, because the bigger the bag, the more you tend to carry, so the heavier it tends to get. Um, but I think either one of those bags would be fine. I always say the Osprey 30 litre Talon is probably the gold standard of like trekking rucksacks at the moment. Um, and then from there on, you know, either side of that, I think anything less than 25 litres is probably too small. Um, but yeah, I can definitely do that, mate. I can definitely get a load of rucksacks and show you which ones I use and then, you know, show you what I carry in them. To be honest, if you've been trekking in the UK before, you you already know what to carry. Um, yes. In mine, I've usually got waterproof jacket, spare base layer, snacks, water, beanie, gloves. That's pretty much it. You know, and then on extra cold days, like when you go to base camp or Kalapatar, I'll either have my down jacket on or in the bag um, with some other insulated stuff like, you know, warmer gloves, that type of thing. But yeah, mate, I'll absolutely do that. What's in the bag session for the future? Definitely. Don't, um, Dave, I remember as well, we, we back in the early days of, uh, seems like an eternity, or back in, I think it was April or May last year, we did one live all around day packs. Um, so uh, yeah. yeah. We did, I know, yeah. Well, it's probably like almost our 50th one now. But yeah, yeah, no, yeah um, <laughs> take a look at that, Joel, as well, because, um, yeah, we could certainly do it again. But don't, you know, go back and have a look at that. It'd probably get some value out of that as well. Um, because, yeah, we, you know, we can do it. We could do it numerous times. It's all good. But yeah, don't, um, don't forget to check out that live. I think it was, I forgot the name of it now because it's that long ago. It's almost 12 months. But yeah, if you go back on the YouTube or even search in the Facebook page here, um under if you just go to the yeah, evertrek i think forward slash lives you can go through all the lives we've ever done and then it's um you can go back to one of the earlier ones and you'll it'll say sort of all about day packs yeah um just if you want to see if you want to wait until our next you know one of our next ones then go for it yeah check yep, it out exactly off the top of my head as well sunglasses sunscreen um, <laughs> toilet paper <laughs> those are, those are an important one which actually kind of leads me on to another question we had come in which we haven't been asked before um you know i was trying to find a link here somewhere but anyway uh, martin uh, messaged and uh, he says hi i'm looking to do killy awesome um but i have a colostomy uh a bag and as i'm in doubt fit enough to do it uh, basically around it being biodegradable have you come across this before how does it work and dave i, I know that this is a question that we we haven't really asked before. We did a little bit of research before. And yeah. we see people have summited Killy with a colostomy bag, right? Yeah, so it can definitely be done. So in answer to your question, yes, you can do Kilimanjaro. <laughs> there might be a few adjustments, you know, that we need to make. But essentially, all of the waste on um, that's, that's brought onto Kilimanjaro, you know, we collect and take back with us and dispose back, you know, um, at lower altitudes. So with, with the colostomy bag, you know, however you need to manage that and however you dispose of the waste and things like that, it's all sort of, there's a generalized bin and stuff like that. You just put it in there and carry on. We always say as well about it not being biodegradable. Well, you know, where we can, we like to we like to do that, you know. But, you know, yeah. that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go to Kilimanjaro, you know. So, yes, 100% you can go. We also found that there are some sort of liners as well, um, which yeah. are biodegradable. So I think you actually line the bag with those, um, and then you can dispose of that without actually disposing of the, the, the bag. Um, I'm not like a major expert, but just from the um, research that I've done, it's definitely achievable. It's a small problem that we can handle quite easily on the mountain. What I always say, though, is, you know, anything like that, any sort of adjustments that you're doing, anything that's slightly left of ordinary, just let the guides know so they're able to, you know, understand your situation and help you wherever they need to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice, Dave. Yeah. I think, so, yeah. Uh, go on, mate. Finish off. <laughs> no, yeah. I was just going to say, but yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're not in the business of saying no. You know, we've got lots of different people from all walks of life, all shapes, sizes, you know, ages, anything like that. Where, um, we can we can usually, you know, sort it out. Um, yeah. But mate, get booked in. We can make it happen. Yeah, nice. Nice, Dave. Yeah, it's one of those things, as, as we said there, if there's anything like that that's kind of um, different. Yeah, we, we are. Um, you know, we, we'll find a way. Um, as Dave mentioned there, we can we can let the team know. And we can manage that accordingly. You know, we've had some um you know some people before who's trekked to Everest base camp with um you know significant disabilities and uh where it was it was you know very challenging because of the terrain 
um, you know, we, we we were able to get extra porters, maybe extra assistant guides, and you know, we we, we can manage it. Um, at the end of the day, yeah. if you really want to do it, and look, you know, I, I'm never going to be the person to say stop. You know, it's got to come down, got to come from you, because then when you you'll have a tough time, you know, you you dig in. Especially, I, I think a couple of the people we'd looked at who um, have climbed Killy with uh, Clostby Bag had done it first, and like Colitis Charities, different charities, yeah. and you know what? That's in the back of your mind. You're doing it for charity. That might be the that sort of encouragement sometimes that can make the difference between getting the summit and not. Um, you know, and definitely there's there's a lot of experts out there that can help you with that. Um, you know, in terms of yeah, I think uh, Karen here. If you've got stoma nurse, etc., you know, you can work out a way of making it happen, and, and we will 100%. Yeah, um, you know, I'd love to love to help you on that journey, definitely. Awesome. Um, another email here, uh, email from Kevin. What is more of a challenge, EBC or Kilimanjaro? Do you know what? Get asked that question a lot. It's a little <laughs> bit like apples and oranges to compare the two because they are very, very different experiences. Yeah. Um, if I was forced to give an answer, I would say Kilimanjaro is eight days long. EBC is 11. So EBC is a little bit longer in terms of the days trekking. Um, I would say that seven out of the eight days on Kilimanjaro uh easier or the same as ebc yeah summit day is harder than any other day on ebc so summit day on kilimanjaro is a lot tougher than any one day you get on the everest base camp trip so everest base camp is an 11 day journey where it can be you can have easier days and tougher days easier days and tougher days kilimanjaro it kind of all builds it builds gradually not too difficult yeah. not too difficult not too difficult Oop, bit hard not too difficult Oh my God! <laughs> and then, yeah, then you come back. Um, yeah, I would say rather than thinking about which one sort of is more difficult, I would think about what type of experience you want. Do a little bit of research. Visit our website, YouTube. Look at the videos um, and get an idea for which one you want to sort of achieve experience-wise. Yeah, and then um, and then go from there um, because they are, like I said, very different, but both amazing and life-changing. Yeah, nice, Dave. Nice. Um, yeah, it's a great question, that, isn't it? I love it when that one comes up because we thought the same, you know, which is we, we kind of we discuss it internally, don't we? Which one's harder? And yeah. it is all about that one day, really, um, you know. But what do both, then you can tell us which one's harder. Um, yeah, exactly. I think, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so much like you speak to different people, you get a different answer. I mean, but having said that, you know, I've just made it sound like Kilimanjaro at, Every day by one is easier. But then <laughs> I've taken Diamox on Kilimanjaro and I've never taken yeah. Diamox on an EBC trip. So I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like it's so difficult to answer. Yeah, it, it, they're, they're always any, any trip to altitude is going to be challenging. Um, whether it's your first time or you know, your 10th time, it, it's going to be, you know, because you've got to climatize the same same process. Um, sometimes you, you can acclimatize not as well as other times and that makes the trip more harder and like dave said then that can give you kind of a disproportionate on, on is it really that harder because that happened to me instead of that didn't happen to me on that trip but um you know they're both amazing trips in their own right and whether you're standing at everest base camp with all the history that happens there you know with surrounded by the highest mountains of the world or you want to climb the highest mountain in africa and get that summit picture um and watch the sunrise over africa i mean and your certificate and you get a certificate. Well, you, well, you get you get one of Evertrek as well. Yeah, valid point, point, valid point, valid <laughs> point. Um, yeah, so it's yeah, they're both fantastic trips, and you know, um, I think all of us have been, uh, yeah, all of us have been sort of locked down for so long now. I think um, let's make the most of it when uh, when we can, when this is over. And why not do both Everest Base Camp and Killy? Um, yeah, why not? I've, yeah. I've done both. I love both trips almost a similar way. Hundred percent. Exactly. So, um, uh, Kim, you've just asked a question as well about um, whether or not Tupacal is going to be going ahead in June. To be honest, at this stage, it's not yeah. a definite no, it's not a definite yes. Um, we are in a situation where we need international travel from the UK to be relaxed. At the moment, we're still not in a position where we can travel today. That might be different by May once the roadmap to sort of exit lockdown has taken place what i would say is that at the moment i would hang fire for a month or two um until we're in a uh, a period where we can definitely know what we're gonna do um we can postpone your trip if that's what you need to do to any other date in the future but 
drop me a message, um, you know, to the inbox. So email us in and uh, we'll, we can have a chat about that and work yeah. that out for you. No problem at all. Yeah, nice, Dave. Um, yeah, just going through uh, some of these questions again. I think Alan, um, hey, Alan, glad to hope you like your uh, certificate medal. Um, you asked about the what's the Internet uh, like uh, in the Annapurna circuit track? Yeah, I, one thing I've heard, actually, because um, with Annapurna, it's kind of similar. I mean, in, in the Everest region, you get the um, Everest link, which is the, the Internet. And, and some lodges have their own sort of Wi-Fi uh, off, off you know, a separate um a separate line essentially um which is pretty good uh for where you are you know i think they got it all the way up now to the correct ship which is which is crazy thinking about where you are um i, I don't think it's as good on uh, from what i've heard on the annapurna circuit just to sort of put that out there so yeah if you're looking to keep in touch i mean there might be on some lodges um but anywhere you go really in the pool it's quite good you can always get a local sim um to use in, in maybe uh, purchase a local phone in Kathmandu. And you might be able to get some data because even though there might not be Wi-Fi, there might be local phone signal, which which will have data. And that'll be in the Annapurna region. Yeah. And that goes for anywhere in Nepal. Um, you know, we've seen some uh, the porters I didn't at the time because I was using the Wi-Fi. And then they were at, and they had signal uh, and they had data signal at Everest Base Camp, you know, which is mad. Yeah, there's some places further down where you're maybe a bit more in the valley and you can't get signal. And then you don't. But um, yeah, but I know you mean, I mean, some people like to get away from it. Some people like to obviously keep in touch. But as Dave, you said before, it's nice to have the the option. Yeah. Um, exactly. If you need to get in touch with family, you know, let them know how you're getting on. Um, and if that's the case as well and you haven't got any data, just give our guides a shout and they could uh, sort that out for you, whether that's going via the office just to make sure your family's OK. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that, essentially. Exactly. Um, Elliot Byron, you have said. Uh, yeah. Change your diet at all coming towards climbing Killy, such as would you proper yourself with high protein diets or would you lose some weight to help with the long distance walking? To be honest, I wouldn't change your diet too much unless it needs to be changed. So if you're already fit and healthy and you're already doing relative, uh, relative, you know, relatively good amount of exercise, I would say keep doing what works for you. Um, yeah. I've not personally changed my diet like too much. You know, when I'm training, I tend to eat, try and eat a bit healthier anyway and eat foods that support the training um so i wouldn't change it specifically for any one challenge it's about what gets you in the best shape and then when you're on the mountain um you get really good foods anyway so they're able to provide you with like lots of fresh food and things like that so to be honest um if your diet is not good at the moment i would say yes change it because it'll support your training and get you in you know the best shape possible for killy if you're already relatively fit and healthy and you already do some training and you know what works for you then stick to that um because you know it's it's going to be good for you going ahead not to make two wild adjustments one way or the other yeah um, nice dave very nice um katie's asked katie nice to see you on the live um it's your mum diane that usually asks questions but it's nice to have a question from you uh, <laughs> uh i'll bring your question on as well because you said with the treks how do you balance out the pace if there is a difference in the fastest and slowest track it's a great question actually and sometimes um you know it does depend on the group but especially in the pool um, you know, Killy, uh, I say on any trip, really, just thinking about it, we do get, um, you know, we do have a, a head guide and then we have assistant guides and then we have porters. Now, normally the, the guides, and the assistant guides are kind of managing the, the group, if you like. And naturally, you'll get people who are quick and it doesn't matter what you tell them, like, like slow down, you know, you're going to be suffering in, the, in, you know, in a day or two. Um, you know, you'll still get people who will, uh, you know, we can't slow down. Uh, and, you know, they'll go ahead. They know where they're going to stop. And that's fine. You know, that we, we've told them we've tried to control that. Uh, but essentially, you know, we don't lose touch with people. You're, you're going to be going to the same destination. But don't feel like you have to rush if other people are. You yeah. go at your own pace, uh, you know, and especially you're going with family. You know, there, there'll be plenty of time to stop, have a drink. Uh, you know, we call it looky, looky, sippy, sippy. So if you look at the views, why don't you drink at the same time, uh, you know, with your with your water bottle? Um, and that'll slow you down, you know, take pictures, just enjoy yourself. Um, you know, these are fantastic places to be. So don't feel like you ever um, have to, to catch up with people. Um, that's just not the case. And and you know what? As you, like, for instance, we've and we, we've seen this time and time again. If you get people that rush and then get to the, uh, the destination an hour ahead of you, and they do that every day, I guarantee you they're going to be struggling when they get about 5,000 metres and you absolutely, are not. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the important thing. When it comes to altitude so yeah i mean naturally we like to go as the slowest person 
But as I said in the beginning there, we do get people where we can't slow them down just because you know, they maybe want a strong personality, they want to go up, and I'm okay, you know, we're all adults. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, sometimes we do get that. But then other times we get fast people in the first couple of days, and I say, look, just t- today, can you go at the back? Yeah. Just take it easy, because otherwise you're going to be feeling some altitude issues in a couple of days. And those people have slowed down, and then they've come to me a couple of days later and gone, yeah, you were right, you know, I had a headache yesterday, and now it's gone. And, you know, so now they know, okay, Let's go at the slow and steady altitude pace. Yeah. Um, so, Katie, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. My good friend, John, who I believe is on here, he's been trying to ring me throughout this whole life. And I've been like, <laughs> secretly like cutting he's off his call as right? he's been going. But I think he is on here. So say hello, John, if you're still here. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the reason I've been cutting you off, John, is because, um, yeah, you keep my phone keeps vibrating and I'm like reaching for it. But, um, yeah, John was actually one of those people like, Andy, you've checked with him before. Like yeah. he just he he's rushes everywhere. Right. He rushes everywhere. It's like he it's like he's transporting an organ or something. You know he's crazy. And um, we went to base camp, and uh, he rushed up to Nampshi and got there pretty quick. And then on the acclimatization hike, he was still pretty quick. And then when we got to Dingboche, I've got a picture of him lying down on the bench, like oh my head, <laughs> you know. And he actually went back and did it a second time. And um, he said as well, I believe that you know. It's also about, you know, did you book to go to base camp to keep up with some random guy you'd never met before? Um, or did you go there to experience it and have an awesome time and see the views and meet the people and and, and experience base camp for yourself? And yeah. if you did go to keep up with that random guy, cool. But most people have gone there to for, for themselves to have the experience and, yeah, and make sure you enjoy it. You know, that's what it's all about. We want people to enjoy the trip. It's not an endurance uh sport there is an everest marathon if you do want to go quickly so you know um yeah, yeah so there's possible we could sort of set that up um nice, nice. yeah uh, and also i remember one time i was climbing up a hill with my head down going a bit fast and a yak was coming the other way and i hadn't noticed and um so, yeah no, normally <laughs> got to see that yeah normally, and then i looked up and the yak i, I heard like the <clears throat> you know what i was like ah! <laughs> you know and i had to like dive out the way last minute you know? brilliant nice <laughs> Very good, Dave. Uh, honestly, I really want to see that, that yak. Um, if that was filmed, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Julie, hey, Julie. Uh, how do the toilet arrangements compare? I believe, um, yeah, just some notes, I think, in terms of like EBC or Killy and things. Yeah, so um, in the Everest region, when you're stopping at uh, the villages, uh, you know, there's uh, usually if a tea house or a lodge will have a toilet there. Um, some of them are sit down, some of them are squat toilets, some of them are very basic. Um, and sometimes if you've got to go and we're in the middle of a woods, you've got to go, uh, you know, you've got to sort of find a space and, um, do what you've got to do. Um, with Killy, it, it very similar. Although, um, one thing we we've done, not a lot of teams do, but we found it's, it's better is that we actually carry our toilets. Um, they're private toilets. So you don't really have to use the long drops. So for instance, in, in each camp on Killy, they'll have toilets that are built there and they're long drops. And, you know, they're, they're probably a bit similar to, some of the, the toilets you can see in Nepal uh, on yeah. you know, certain times, very basic, um, you know, definitely use a hand sanitizer after you come out of that toilet. But um, whereas with, with us, we're, we're on Kili, um, we, we, we thought better just to have our own little toilets there. Um, so depending on the size of the group, usually we'll have one for the males, one for the females, uh, you know, and, and we'll keep it you know nice and clean and it's just yeah. a bit better that way. So that is, that is, that's why it's a little bit different with Kili because we got our own private toilets, whereas on Everest Base Camp, you're sharing it really with everyone. Obviously, it's going there. Yeah. Um, um, so that answers your question there. Awesome. Sue Denim, how are you doing, Sue? Hopefully, you're okay. Uh, do we have any female guides? So this is something we're actually in support of. There aren't yes. any female guides at all, um, particularly for Everest and Kilimanjaro. Yeah. In fact, I've only met one in my time on Everest Base Camp. Um, <laughs> Excuse me. But there are more um coming up through the ranks so generally speaking you start out as a porter um and you're carrying heavy loads and things like that and then after portering you then do your training as a guide and then you become like a higher uh, an assistant guide and then you become uh, a fully fledged mountain guide so we are in full support of it um there just aren't that many that don't come, that don't come through the ranks um, but certainly on kilimanjaro we had a few female porters in our group um who i spoke to our guide about and basically they're there to sort of build up the training and get the experience on the mountain so you know it's something we hope to see a lot more of in the future um i think the the, the tide is changing um it depends a little bit on the sort of as uh, the country you're visiting as well and their cultures about whether or not it will or won't happen 
Um, but yeah, something we're in, we're in support of, and we really do hope that there'll be more in the future because um, they do a good job, particularly yeah. the porters on Kilimanjaro. I mean, I I don't know how it happened. So I, I don't know how they do that. Like they're carrying those loads and the tents on their heads and things like that. It's it's amazing to see. Yeah, it, it is amazing, and I remember in Nepal um, because it's unfortunately with with Nepal. I think with, with their culture is, you know, I'd say from experience you know they are um, a little bit behind in terms of um you know the way it is with women's and jobs and things like that it is you know i was quite surprised to find out that and there's not many female guides but then there are some that have um you know who've climbed everest uh, you know who do guide um unfortunately we don't have any of them that work for us at the moment but it's certainly something that we would do 100% um you know in uh, in nepal and anywhere on our trips um yeah, definitely. So, yeah, nice day. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, sure. This one could go on, couldn't it, And uh, That's okay. <laughs> I think I, I want to kind of do it justice. There's a few more uh, questions. Uh, I think uh, one big question, actually, was um, have you actually had your haircuts? Um, no, not yet, Ramona. We haven't. Uh, although, Dave, tomorrow I hear is a big day, right? Today. Today, mate. Today? Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, like, I haven't had Go my haircut. It my haircut for ages like it needs to be done it's a bit ridiculous at the minute yeah uh, but yeah no so haircuts uh hopefully next tuesday you'll see me with one um andy actually cuts his own hair so <laughs> cut yourself <laughs> yeah. um no, I'm, I'm i'm being told cut your hair by many people don't you worry um yeah so maybe over the next week or so you might maybe next week it might be one all about the haircuts you never know yeah um, um we'll, we'll, we'll see how we get on but um yeah. Yeah, Alice McGuire <laughs> said, when buying yes. boots, is there a quick tip to distinguish between the boots that need some wearing in and the boots that are yeah. too uncomfortable and uh, and ones that, well, is there a quick tip between ones that need wearing in and ones don't? To be honest, no, not really, because the most comfortable pair of boots that required no wearing in were my uh, all leather Mandel boutons, where historically leather boots do require some wearing in. And then I've had some, you know, sort of synthetic um, material boots and stuff like that that just tore my feet to shreds. So to be honest, it's all about the fit. The fit is the most important thing. So go to a, a shop if you can, um, try them on, walk around in the shop with them, even if it, make, the, make the sales guy feel awkward while you do 10 minutes of laps around the shop, you know. Yeah. And um, if you feel any pressure or any sort of rubbing or anything like that, probably not um, a good fit. So try a different boot. Um, and when you find one that fits perfect, then generally wearing in shouldn't shouldn't be a problem. Um, I think the days of like buying these old school hiking boots that like chewed your feet to ribbons, but then they lasted 20 years are kind yeah. of over. They've kind of developed them now. So even the leather ones require less wearing in. Um, I would start with the Mandel Bhutan because that's my all time number one boot at the minute um, yeah. and work work your way out from there. <laughs> Nice, Dave. Nice. Uh, right, a couple more questions before we finish up. Um, someone's asked, Will Anderson, uh, what scramble grade would you say the lava wall is on Killy? I think you mean Barranco wall. Um, but yeah, which is uh, fantastic. And one of, I've got to be honest, one of, the, one of my favorite, probably my second favorite part of the trip after the summit. Um, and yes, yeah, a grade one scramble. So it's very easy. Uh, it's not technical. Um, you know, there were people on our trip just to, um, you know, when we were on together back in sort of February, March last year, um, that haven't really done any form of scrambling before. And, you know, they were fine. Uh, there's one small exposed bit called like hugging or kissing rock, uh, which is, is, is quite cool. But, you know, the guides are there to kind of coach you through it. Um, and it will take a couple of hours to kind of, it's about 200 meters, 250 meters from top to bottom. Um, you know, and yeah, it's, it's a very, very cool um, sort of place to, you know, when you get to the top and the views are absolutely amazing. I know you mentioned lava there. There is a separate one called Lava Tower, but that's not really, you don't go up there essentially. That's uh, just like a, somewhere you see on the way. And it's part of the, um, uh, I'd say part of, it's, it's next to the camp um, of where we stop. Uh, it's about 4,600 metres off the top of my head, Lava Tower. Um, and then you drop down the valley then after you get to Lava Tower into Barranco Camp, which is next to Barranco Wall, um, just to um, hopefully provide some context into where you're going. But yeah, um, Barranco Wall, uh, in terms of scrambling, is great. As I say, it's not technical, relatively easy. Um, yeah, Mandel, 
Maynal Boutards, Dave. I can see that everyone's talking about Maynal Boutards. Yeah. You've got shares in that company, right? I mean, oh. I've actually, yeah, yeah. If you scratch beneath Maynal Boutards, it says Painted Yeti Supplies. But um, <laughs> I've actually given, uh, I've actually given Fia a link um, that she'll post on the comments um, from Cotswold, nice. so you, you get the discount then with us if you use them. Um, also noticing I'm catching some flack at the moment of Captain America looking a bit iffy. I'll be honest, I've, <laughs> I never, I never, that wasn't me that made that comparison. I, I'm Captain Newport and iffy is my speciality. <laughs> um, but yeah. Very, very good. Very good. Um, nice. Well, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll get that link is, I'm just waiting for it to pop up. But yeah, it, pretty much, even if you didn't have a link, Go on to Coach Cotswell Outdoors. It's in. Never in doubt. Never yeah. in doubt, uh, <laughs> As I look through. But yeah, look, um, Dave, uh, it's been great today talking about, obviously, the high passes, going back to that. I know we've covered a lot of subjects today, a lot of questions. I think it's been one of our, probably one of our busiest lives uh, that we've done in a while. Yeah, um, I mean, if we've missed any, feel free to email them in. Yes. Um, and we'll get back to you. There's so many here that I can't even scroll through. Um, but yeah, it's been a great one to be honest. I think whenever uh, whenever we talk about altitude and kit and stuff like that, we know it's going to be big. I've got a few ideas for some new. Uh, yeah, I think I think we we'll do a kit refresh. I think, and we haven't had a kit one in a while. So what's in the bag? I think is a good one. So we'll do that. Yeah, um, we, we can certainly do it. I mean, we've over the next few weeks. I mean, next week um, we'll be announcing uh, kind of the winner of the uh, Killy competition. Yeah. So do uh, join us for that. Uh, obviously, we'll be talking a lot about Killy and answering a lot of questions around that. Um, but then after that, we, you know, as lockdown eases, we're going to be trying to get a bit more creative. Although you've seen us, you know, like this during lockdown, we want to get out. You know, we, we love the outdoors. We're going to try and work out logistics and try and uh, maybe do one in Cotswold Outdoors. Maybe go to the Altitude Centre, you know, try and try and um, maybe get some people on the, uh, the tune in as well. So, um, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we, we love this part of the week. And um, even if Dave has a day off, he's... Uh, He's, he's still on. Uh, the same goes for me. I'll, I'll try and join as always. But uh, yeah, maybe next time you see us with a new haircut, um, you never know. Uh, Dave, any any final words, mate, before we chip off? No, that's it. Yeah, I mean, um, excited to see where this takes us, you know, like post-lockdown, because we started it in lockdown just so we could uh, continue to talk and have people listen. I, I don't think we ever envisaged it would become so popular. So it's really humbling to think that all of you guys on a Tuesday make the same effort to come every week. It's amazing. And yeah, yeah, like Andy said, right. you know, we've got some pretty grand ideas. We want to sort of, you know, do some exciting stuff and get out and about and show you guys a lot more. So, um, yeah, see, see what happens. We need lockdown gone. See what happens. Nice. Okay, great stuff. Well, look, um, we'll catch you all next week. Uh, as always, anything in the interim, drop us a little message, info at evertrek.co.uk or jump on the message on the website and, uh, yeah, just drop us a message. But other than that, we'll see you next week. No worries. See ya. Bye. Awesome. So I hope you enjoyed the uh, another episode of the Mountain Malarkey podcast. Um, yeah, that was something a little bit different, wasn't it, from the Tuesday tune-in, but I hope yeah. you enjoyed it. I must say, you were brilliant on that episode, Ant. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, mate. Thanks. Now, if, uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. Um, you know, all these uh, podcasts we put together, the episodes, try to reach as many people as possible. And if it's helped you, leave us a lovely review. Um, and yeah, we'll see you again next week. Yeah, all the best, guys. Bye. We'll